Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It is the Monday edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy back in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. I want to give a uh, shout out for sure to uh, some of the folks that helped to fill in last week uh, on the back end, including, of course, Dave Kawada. Uh, I was out for the last three days of last week doing a little bit of a uh, staycation off island. So uh, appreciate uh, all of that uh, help and extra effort. Uh, But back today and also very stoked to uh, be welcoming back to the studio my co-host for the day, none other than Lori Santi. You can catch her analysis on Spectrum Sports coverage of Rainbow Wahine Basketball and softball, and she's coming straight from a pickleball tournament. <laughs> How did it go, Lori? It went good, man. It was great. Wahoo Pickleball Association and uh, Kyle and Elena Paredes ran it over at uh, Mid Pacific Institute and oh. the Lindor. It was a senior tournament, 50 and up. Okay. So, you know, you weren't there. but So you barely made it into that, <laughs> right? If- we, yeah, thank God I, for my last birthday. I'd have been, <laughs> whew, man, by the nick of time. So how'd it go? It was uh, great. Give, give us it results here. Give us, no, give us analysis here. it was good. Here. It was some good, good play. Good. It was fun. It was good. Where, where'd you finish, Laurie? Where, it, was, it was a good tournament. Did, um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, vague answers there lead you to believe people, that maybe you, know, you didn't win the trophy. There are some people that referred to me as a sandbagger, and I it kind of hurt my feelings. Uh, you know? So you started throwing matches well, no, in order I, to fulfill... My partner totally carried me this weekend. Gotcha, gotcha. Carried me to victory. So you guys won the thing. Yeah, we did. But well, only, yeah, you know, there's a million divisions. How, how did I have to wrestle di- that out of you? Isn't yeah, that something you would want to yeah. just, like, come off the yeah. top rope with? Like, I guys, shout I won about the it, tournament. I shout about it at home because it gives me a little bit of, you know, clout in the house. Like, go take the garbage there out. You, go. you know, I won the pickleball tournament. Yeah. Go wash the car. Yeah. But it's not something, you know, publicly. Like, okay, okay. Uh, you got to learn how things work around here because uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I heard Bryant Moniz is playing pickleball. Let me just put that out oh, there no. for, okay, for some validation of this yeah. sport. Yeah. If Bryant... Yeah, so... C- clearly it's and getting s- way too good and athletic for, for normal folks like me. But you got to learn how it works around here, Lori, because uh, uh, as people who have listened in, in the last few weeks of the show, uh, I have gone on and on endlessly, irritatingly, annoyingly about some of my recent golf exploits. So you yeah. just have to do you're it. Looking, you just have to dive you're into looking the pretty, pretty good today. Oh. It fits pretty good. You know, you got the nice golf, you got the yep. UH hat on. I feel like you won a golf tournament and maybe that, in and the last And that's what days. The, uh, the audio medium of radio is all about, is yeah. looking good. You know, I'm getting used to my headphones over my hat. <laughs> this is so exciting. Yeah, kind of nice. You got yeah. your glasses this week yeah. too, so I don't that have to works wear out. Or tuck anything in, like, for TV. This is like, I am all in on this radio Very thing. good, very good. Well, we are all in. It is uh, fall camp for Rainbow Warrior football. You were out there on Saturday. I'm going to open up the phone lines here, 808-296-1420 for anyone that wants to call in. If they have any questions or thoughts, they can also text into that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. I was out there this morning. Uh, we actually were able to, to corner uh, Timmy Chang for a, a brief interview. Got a bit of a soundbite that we're going to toss to here in just a little bit. Talking about which unit, offense or defense, has sort of had the edge. Uh, I think anybody that's been able to see any of the practices so far, right, with uh, basically one week uh, gone by here in fall camp uh, would be very quick to suggest that the defense has had the edge. They seem to be the more veteran unit. I think they have some some guys with more experience, even if they are guys who have transferred in, like Sauce Williams uh, on the D-line, and obviously with John Tuitupo and his status of eligibility still very much up in the air, but still being allowed to practice. Uh, Sauce Williams' importance is heightened, right, because he might have to take on 
uh, an even greater role uh, if JT is ruled to be ineligible uh, trying to get that extra year. But what were your impressions just uh, when you were out there on Saturday? Uh, yeah, tell you, it was lit. I mean, it was a little bit, it was chirpy, right? The defense was pretty much on fire on the sidelines. A lot of, you know, a lot of support coming from the defensive side. There are a couple little chippy plays that happened. I, I was kind of, it was kind of fun to watch Timmy <laughs> go off a bit so that's on the voice. Yeah. I tell you what, he, you know, and it was more about sort of the lack of execution, I think. But there were also a couple of plays where he's like, hey, you know, these are these are our guys. Like, what, what are you guys doing? You know, and it was interesting to uh, watch them take a few wind sprints and some up downs. That hasn't changed in 100 years of football, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was and it was hot. And I think they got the message. But I think he you like to see that edginess, right? We're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing it in pro camps with. Travis Kelsey. I mean, yeah. it's it's on, right? It's a it's a physical sport. That was interesting. But to your point, I think at this point in time, when you're instilling the run and shoot, defenses defenses time of year is always better than all. It's just an, it's an easier situation, right? You know, your execution on offense is, you know. I'm sure defensive people don't appreciate hearing that, but I do believe, that even from a coaching standpoint, it is always easier to get your defense a little bit more up to speed, a little quicker in your schemes. And it is to instill a completely, well, somewhat, you know, completely different offense and a, and a read offense that, you know, you got the ones and the twos and different quarterbacks taking reps. And so I think that can be frustrating. And I think to the, the layperson's eye, you are seeing how good the defense, could, but I feel like in defense of the offense, it's gonna it's gonna take a while. Yeah, and I just think uh, the the way this defense is set up. Of course, they lost some key pieces up front. Blessman Taala, certainly part of that uh, leadership and veteranship for this team last year uh, at that anchor position on the D line. Uh, but again, the addition of Sauce Williams helps to overcome some of that, and he has some uh, junior college level experience, and so he's not just like this f- freshman out of high school that's showing up. Uh, I think you have experience at the linebacker spot obviously Logan Taylor is back in the mix uh, with what he was able to do down the stretch last season and putting up just ridiculous tackling numbers uh, and then you got the two young safeties right in Mekki Pei and Peter Manuma who made a couple picks at practice yes, you know and they look was, yeah. fantastic <laughs> yeah, they here do. to start so I think it's just set up that way it is where the defense just seems to have a little bit more at this moment in terms of experience the and system physical tools well and let's remember the offense and, and they did have some some time in the spring to try to employ some of this, but the offense is still evolving and they're still trying to figure out exactly what they are with this now uh, run and shoot system, the Timmy Chang version of it, which will include at times a tight end in certain formations. And so I think they're still in the feeling out process. What can we get away with right. in a game situation? They're trying different things. He wants to open it up. He wants to go downfield. And so that's what we've seen, I think, in the first few practices. But the defense has probably had the edge. And in fact, that was confirmed basically uh, when I asked Timmy Chang that very question today. Yeah, I, I say the defense is, is really oiled up right now. Um, you know, the secondary is really good. Uh, veteran, Two veteran linebackers, two senior linebackers, two senior ends, um, you know, solid, you know, two solid tackles, tackles in, in, in the middle. And then there, there's a lot more depth at, at, at those positions. And, and really now we and, and when you talk about the offense, uh, younger, you know, um, you know, learning the system, getting on the same page. You know, I, I think uh, I think they they make I think the defense right now makes the offense better because of you know their savviness, um, their 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 comfortability, their experience on that side. Uh, you know, with our inexperience on offense, you know, um, you know it just helps. I look at this team and I look at our roster, and it's a different roster. And and so um, when it clicks for these guys, uh, I expect them to be pretty good. 
So what kind of timeline do you project or what kind of calibration do you have to anticipate as a head coach? How much patience do you sort of have to employ, uh, again, this early in camp? That's a great question, you know, and here's the thing is that I don't, I don't play the game. Our coaches don't play the game. We have a saying, it's not what, it's not what we know, it's what our players know, and it's what they do on Saturday. So we're, we're, on, their, we're on their timeline, right? But, but here's the thing as a coach is that you can focus on the things that you see that they the details you can structure practice you can adjust and 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 get those details ironed out and and then you know create new mistakes you know make a new error until they feel as comfortable as if as as comfortable as you've seen some of the best ones do it at at the highest level then you're going to start to see the, the 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 things happen out there on the field that was uh, Timmy Chang uh, this morning, was able to, to get a quick word with him, and uh, he confirmed the fact that he feels like the defense is kind of ahead of the game. What was interesting was talking about, you know, the timeline. Like, at what point does he as a head coach feel like, all right, we need to really be seeing something more out of the offense, and he left that very open-ended. There may not be a concrete answer to that. I think he's hoping that it is by the time we get to game week for sure and when we start getting into game-specific type of implementations and schematics. Uh, but it doesn't sound as though he has maybe the – even with his perspective as a head coach, it, it doesn't necessarily sound as though he has the the wherewithal to put any kind of timeline on that. It, it's almost as if, hey, look, that's up to the players. It, this isn't a coach's thing. We can ask for it. We can hope for it. We can expect it. Uh, but we can only ask them to do what we're asking them to do, and it's on them to ultimately figure it out. And it's a pretty reaction-based offense. You know, it's going to be interesting, too, a lot on Timmy. Timmy's the guy that knows the offense. You know what I mean? It's a little different in terms of the staff, right? There's not a Stutzman there. He's got a lot to, to teach, and he's got to manage the entire team. It'll be interesting to see how that, you know, takes its toll on him, right? I feel like there in the past have been other other coaches that have been a little bit more versed, whether it's Cal Lee or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever. That's, that's going to be interesting to me. I will say the eye test walking into practice – Definitely, there are some more physical tools there than there were, you know, just as a general yeah. look-see kind of thing. I felt like for sure their guys and the defense was really flying around. I mean, there was the, the motivation level, just the edge of it. I thought it raised the level since sort of what I had seen last year. And, and I don't know if you agree with that, seeing them this well, morning. Well, and I think what's good is, yeah, I actually think the defense has um, – objectively looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not ready to say they're going to go out there and they're going to, you know, uh, be able to shut out Vanderbilt uh, over there in Tennessee or shut out Stanford in their home opener. But um, this is a defense that at least has, and it, it's sometimes hard to cast judgment in fall camp when it's, you know, these intra-squad type of matchups and practice drills. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just really hard to gauge until they're on the field with another team. That said, there are some signs, right? There, there are some symptoms and some elements, some indicators of like, okay, I think there's there's something here. Uh, and I think the defense has looked pretty sharp and I think has some very sort of encouraging aspects and features and characteristics to it. Uh, and so what's, I guess, the good news here is you got one of the units that's looking that way. Offense looks like it's still a bit of a work in progress, but as you mentioned, I think they do have some pieces. Braden Shager himself looks a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, throwing the ball a little bit farther, a little bit harder. Um, I, I think that that could work in their favor, but like you said, very reaction-oriented. You need multiple parts to be on the same page as the play is in real time uh, starting to pan out. Um, but yeah, at least you have one of the units, and so I think that then... Uh, 
forces the offense to have to take those steps. It sort of teaches them these daily lessons. And if the defense can, in essence, kind of pull the offense along with them, get them on a more even ground. And then you're talking about two competitive units trying, you know, iron sharpening iron type of thing as they gear up for the season opener a month away. And I think he talked a little bit about them having a little bit more depth, which also raises that level of practice, right? That, you know what I mean? You're sort of, you're looking behind you a little bit more than maybe you were last year when they didn't have that, when the drop-off was a little bit more significant by position. And then you look at the defense, sort of the levels, as Timmy said, you know, the edges, two linebackers, and you got the safety. So you got kind of three levels of defense where you've got some experience. You're not sort of exposed back there with a really young group or up front with a really, really young group. So that's kind of gives them a little bit more balanced defensively than maybe they've had in a couple of years. But like you said, it's, it's football's, you know, interesting that way, really hard to tell. Tell you you're out there. I did feel like it felt so stadium-like when I walked in there, feeling that. Oh yeah, end because zone. Saturday was on oh, the Ching. Yeah, it was on Ching. So I walked in. I thought it just there was just the the scoreboard. The scoreboard's and you legit. In, you're like, yeah. Hey, I'm not in a high school. <laughs> I feel like this is bigger. You know, it felt it, it just the way it was boxed in. It yeah. just really gives you when you get there, you folks that are going to games. It, it's it really feels it's great. It's you go from the school situation to like a stadium. You know, yeah. it, was, it was great because you have more of that bowl yeah. feeling, yeah. right? So it's like, exactly. okay, this kind of feels like a stadium. Yeah. And that scoreboard, my goodness. Yeah, I know. It like, it looks God, legit. I hope it works. Okay. Oh my gosh, please <laughs> work. Please, because remember that one game they had the power <laughs> yes. outage before yes. kickoff? Like, please let the power work for the scoreboard. Because uh, you're right. I, it just, it looks good. It yeah. gives it a much a bigger time feel and vibe. I don't think Stanford's necessarily going to feel that in the same way that some of the fans who were at some of the games last year will. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I, certainly. Certainly a felt improvement in terms of the potential atmosphere. Now, the other challenge is you got to get fans in there. Right, you you right. can increase the seating by 6,000. Are you going to increase the attendance by 6,000? Uh, are you going to be able to fill that place 15,000? That's the challenge, and hopefully they play a brand of football that will attract people to watch them in person, because I do think that that in-game experience will be improved in large part because of that bowl feeling. Um, and definitely that scoreboard is going to add a lot of flavor yeah. to it. Uh, and the they, they added some speakers, right? So the speaker system is going to be even better. Um, I feel like will, there could be like a dance floor in the end zone or something. They back, will likely, you know what they I mean? will likely uh, be <laughs> receiving letters <laughs> from some of the lit. neighboring That's right. uh, community members who are not Maybe. as much of football fans, like going like, you got to be kidding me how loud <laughs> this thing is. Kind of sumo guys in costumes <laughs> doing the whole thing. Oh, I, yeah. I got to talk to Eric. I got some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 808. 296-1420 is the number to call. But, uh, yeah, the, basically four practices into uh, this uh, spring s- or this fall session, I should say. And, um, and and as Timmy mentioned, looks like the defense a little bit ahead of the game. We do have a caller on the line, so uh, let's go ahead and take the call. Paul is uh, getting in. What's up, Paul? How's it going? Oh, hi, everybody. How are you doing? Good, good. I guess I'm going to wear my bell-bottom pants and disco shirt to games. Then. Yes. So um, do, you, do you still have bell-bottom gonna- pants, Paul? Oh no! I gotta go buy. <laughs> All right. I'm not that. I'm not, you know, uh, uh, Lord, guess what? You, uh, I talked about the. I guess answered it. Uh, but so let me ask this: Do you see Director Andrews watching, like, with a laps or something? No. And uh, you see, I see watching practice. Yeah. And my other question is. Uh, Kanoi, will you be taking phone questions for the velocity thing? 
and I'll listen off the air. Right, God, yeah. bless. God bless. You great, uh, great couple of questions. Uh, you did see him out there on Saturday, yeah, correct? Yeah, in fact, he was, yeah, Jesse Sapolo was out there, and, and uh, Craig Angelis was out there watching Terrific. practice and hanging out and doing what an athletic director is supposed to do, you know? Yeah, and uh, as for the uh, Craig Angelis show, we're going to have the first edition scheduled tomorrow, 6 to 7 p.m. It's going to be at uh, Velocity Honolulu on Kapiolani Boulevard. Uh, we will be surrounded by all kinds of luxury automobiles that I could only wish to be able to afford. But it'll be a lot of fun and, uh, and, and definitely looking forward to that. And, yes, the plan is to allow for call-ins and call-in questions. I, I think that this venture on the part of Craig Angelis, certainly in large part, is to ingratiate himself to the community, make himself a little bit more accessible uh, to allow for people to know him, uh, maybe better understand uh, where he's coming from, what his vision is. And so I think it was important uh, to have that element where people could call in and ask questions uh, because I think that allows them to feel like they're bridging a communicative gap. Uh, and so, yes, that is the plan we will uh, be uh, expecting uh, or, or accepting and hopefully expecting some phone calls. Uh, and also, obviously, you can text in uh, if you don't want to call. In. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be the plan tomorrow night uh, right here on ESPN Honolulu. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. You know, and I appreciate his accessibility, right? I mean, he's, uh, he has a, a Twitter. He's on Twitter. He's, you know, he's, he's got a lot, of, a lot of things in the fire in terms of reaching out to the community. He's certainly not being outworked anywhere. I think Craig Angelis, we can at least say that. The guy has been burning the midnight oil and, and making all those connections. And uh, it'll be nice to hear what he has to say tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the impression I have gotten so far, uh, and I've had a sit down with him, I've interviewed him on the show. Um, that's more or less the extent of it. But just based on conversations I've had with other people who have also uh, had sit down opportunities with him, uh, he seems to be at this point open to suggestions. He, he is open to listening uh, to the input of various members of the community, even members of the community who were maybe not so on board with the process in selecting Craig Angelis. Maybe not necessarily the pick itself as much as the process that led to that ultimate selection. And so I think, you know, it's a, a bit of a... Um, you know, team of rivals type of thing, right? That's uh, been attributed to, to Abraham Lincoln uh, with surrounding in his cabinet uh, himself with people that weren't necessarily all on the same page, but it creates better discourse. Ideas can germinate out of that kind of conversation that sometimes can be conflicting, sometimes can be even in, in, in some ways combative, but that can also be fruitful. And it sounds like, at least sounds like that's kind of an approach, uh, at least in terms of who he's been talking to, that he's taken to the job. And I think that that's uh, potentially pretty refreshing. Yeah, no, I really agree with that. He's not sort of boxed himself in a room with, you know, his people or people that are maybe telling him what they want him to, you know, he seems to be making his own his own path that way. And uh, I agree with that. I think that's always a good sign. I think when you're, you have a compliance background, you're used to that kind of, you're used to sort of making sure that you're, seeing all sides of situations and uh, and i think that's you know you, that's what you want to do here you want to bring those groups together right because there was a little bit of that that con that conflict a little bit in hirings as there always are right and so i actually think that's a nice way to segue you know yeah. the community a bit too uh, stay cool this summer. Get the new Bosch Inverter Central Air Conditioning System that qualifies for up to a $1,000 Hawaii Energy rebate. Ask your contractor for the Bosch Inverter. I got Lori Santi in the house. We got a whole lot more to get to, including Paul Feinbaum's reaction to Taulia Tongovailoa saying that he had a $1.5 million NIL offer to transfer to an SEC program. Paul Feinbaum a bit skeptical. And what is to happen to the Pac-12? 
12 conference. We'll get into all of that stuff and more when we come back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Lori Santi is my wonderful special guest co-host for the day. You can call in via the phone line 808-296-1420 or text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. We got a little bit of breaking news. Obviously, it uh, happened over the last 24 hours, but uh, Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, he has officially asked for a trade from the team. This follows a very peculiar, somewhat cryptic a quote that was given by owner Jim Ursay to The Athletic where he said, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. Uh, he was uh, being interviewed about the Jonathan Taylor situation because Taylor uh, wants a contract extension, but this whole uh, controversy surrounding running backs and, and the contracts that they have been granted here uh, by and large because of the, uh, you know, the half-life of running backs in the NFL now and the wear and tear that they take uh, over the course of, of their careers after not that many seasons in the league. Uh, it is becoming uh, a position that ownership and front office uh, likes seem to feel is very replaceable and there are a lot of other options cheaper options in order to turn and so um in light of that jim ursay saying that quote if i die tonight and jonathan taylor is out of the league no one's gonna miss us he goes on to say the league goes on we know that the national football league rolls on it doesn't matter who comes and who goes and it's a privilege to be a part of it that was just a weird uh, kind of cryptic quote what's your reaction to this and and now jonathan taylor uh, who has asked for a trade uh, has a little bit more potential leverage because it was just reported today that Zach Moss, who was working with the starting offense in the absence of Jonathan Taylor, sustained a broken arm in today's practice and will miss roughly four to six weeks, according to various reports, uh, including ESPN. So uh, what the heck is going on in yeah, Indy? It, mistake by Ursay, right? He's a guy that's sort of been known to take care of his players. It's not it, it, is, it is a bit of a surprise to me. Plus, the guy's 24 years old. He had 1,800 yards, Jonathan Taylor, two seasons ago. Has a little bit of a rough season last year. These are the Colts. They don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of guys. He's the dude. He and Buckner pretty much are the guys on that team. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked by it. I saw a statistic earlier today. They talked about this whole this whole concept of you know we can get a running back anywhere rookie running backs versus seasoned running backs in the NFL it's not close I mean it's not really true but the interesting thing that gets me you know, is that when you look at running backs they get paid based on what they've done quarterbacks get sort of paid on projections mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know what I mean so yeah. like you look at like Zeke Elliott who ended up getting paid but that was after a whole that was a kind of a messy deal but he had like three tremendous seasons guys have great seasons they expect to get paid but that's it's like a 50-50 for running backs they don't pay them basically on what they project them to do yeah they you know and, well, it's, it, and if anything I think Nick Chubb put it in, in great terms he says the, the more we produce in a given season the right? less the projection for the future seasons becomes right it takes away because the assumption is well uh, you put in yeoman's work 
work, but you took a lot of abuse on your body. And it's like, well, yes, I had to in order to produce in the way that this team needed me to. But it's like, all right, but your future value then gets decreased because of the kinds of success. So they become literal victims of their success when it comes to contract negotiations. And that's where the market is. I mean, there's not a whole lot they can do now. You know, that's what the market is. All these teams are following suit on the running back concept. Owners are saving money. They're all on board, right? Because it, it saves them money. You look at the two backs that got paid the most in what the last three years. I think it's Kamara and and um, well, Derek Henry and my guy and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, yep. and so those are you know, thank goodness they interviewed McCaffrey. In fact, the other day, and he said, you know, I totally support my guys, but you know, I'm just here in training camp to do my job because he can't. What's he? You know, he's. Yeah. I think he's at 16 million or something. Yeah. So yeah, those are the types of backs though that are getting paid, and I think Jonathan Taylor fits that mold. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like you know, when running backs get to 26, 27, that's sort of when the conversation starts to be. Are they done? Like, do they? How much more do they have to offer? Right. I mean, even Zeke Elliott, who was as productive as anybody early in his career, uh, it just it, it looks like you know there might be better options. There might be more explosive options. And he was a guy who actually did get some pretty heavy money in his first contract extension. Jonathan Taylor is still very much at that front yeah. end, and so it's a little bit more head scratching that Jim Ursay, who has been known in the past to pay some of his players, hasn't really been that owner that refused to go there with players a little bit more out of the the Jerry Jones cloth if you will when it comes to contracts that he would take such a hard line yeah. stance against the guy who you could argue is the most important piece to that entire offense who is still very much in the early stage of his prime you know i am a little troubled by the agent moves right the whole deal with the physical and Jonathan oh, Taylor and the back injuries that he yeah. wasn't and they don't have to pay him so you wonder if Ursay's irritated with the eight you know there's a little bit Could few be. more layers in there and you look at Zeke Elliott they had Pollard then you know they had they got nobody now Zach Moss goes down if I'm if I'm a, the agent for I'm thinking okay like now we have a yeah. real bar and then they come out and want the trade so it's it's I, I feel like there's more to this story yeah yeah you're right I, Jim Ursay who has also been known to be a fairly emotional <laughs> owner right he's not one to to hold back. He will let his feelings be known. He will tweet out his thoughts. He, just, he will answer questions about I, his running back to the athletic that are very weird. Um, and so, yeah, I could see that being an overreaction <laughs> to what he feels like perhaps is a negotiation in bad faith on the part of, yeah, of, that's of Jonathan Taylor's and I, agent. And I also feel like, except for Bruce Boshi. <laughs> Ursa looks like he's just hammered every time he speaks, okay? Um, he does. He does. He Lord. looks like he's had about a 12-pack every yeah. time he says. And I know that supposedly he hasn't done that, mm-hmm. but he's got that. Yeah. I just, I can't with him. I just look at him and go, God, what is he going to say? It's uh, it's it's very reckless to, to speculate in this way, <laughs> but uh, I think chances are yes. I, I think chances are yes. <laughs> If it walks like a duck and looks like a duck and it's quacks a duck. like a duck, it's all a of duck. that stuff, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think in in this instance, it just it, it feels like Jonathan Taylor has so much more leverage yeah. than even some of these other running backs that are kind of going through the same thing because of his age, because of his importance in that offensive scheme over the last few years. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me that Jim Ursay is going to take this public hardline stance against him and really start taking these kinds of weird jabs against his uh, his top running back, who I would imagine in Indianapolis uh, carries a pretty strong level of popularity. You have a quarterback. 
I mean, you know, it's not like you're Joe Burrows and you like Joe Burrow and you lost your running back or you're, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm thinking he's your best player in offense. He's, he's, He's the guy. If you got Patty Mahomes yeah, and you need yeah, to like look yeah, somewhere exactly. else, there you go. Three, three there different you go. running backs, yeah. three different Super Bowls, two of them. I mean, yeah. See, yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, Jim Irsay. Um, he's a bit of a head-scratcher in general himself. NFL All right. management. Yeah. <laughs> we still has, as mentioned, a lot to get to, including the Taulia Tongavailoa story. Talk a little bit about the Pac-12. We'll dip into the bucket of questions on the other side of this break. A reminder, Domino's Pizza of Hawaii, a supporter of Let's Talk Sports. And we're very thankful that they have been really from the get-go. Uh, if you order online or via the app at Domino's Pizza, you can save up to 20% on your order they have a whole bunch of other combo deals as well so check it out domino's pizza of hawaii we deliver aloha we'll be back all right welcome back let's talk sports kanoa Leahy here in the paxa studios in honolulu got Lori santi as my special guest co-host for the day uh, you can call in 808-296-1420 you can text in at that number via the zephyr insurance text line uh Lori, let's dip into the bucket O questions funny how this bucket always tends to be very timely uh with the uh, do with you know questions. the bucket did you did you make I, I designed the bu- it did myself? You make the bucket? I, I designed it myself, and I carried it around with me up and down Bishop and, Street in do downtown you, Honolulu. And people put the think questions I, in? people, then, uh, others, people have are at you times cheating the, in people the bucket. Have, people have at times dropped change into the bucket. They just they really have uh, misunderstood exactly what I'm doing. Some with insults the bucket. into the bucket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, there was one question that said, "Don't quit your day job." I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that means. Um, all right, so first question. What did you think of Paul Feinbaum's comments about the Taulia Tongavailoa offer from a, quote, SEC team? All right, so Taulia Tongavailoa basically went public and uh, said that he had received a $1.5 million offer to transfer to an SEC school. Uh, He did not specify which school it was, but he did also suggest uh, that he was going to stay put at Maryland to play the 2023 season rather than go to what would be the third school in his college career. Paul Feinbaum, uh, who is known to be at times skeptical, um, he was in this case again, says the easiest thing in the world to elaborate on whatever you got offered i believe he got offered i mean we all heard his name being mentioned uh he says by the way every good quarterback in the country's name got mentioned um I can think of, let's see, off the top of my head, three quarterbacks in the ACC right now whose names were connected to Alabama and didn't go. So basically he's saying, yeah, he believes that maybe his name was brought up, uh, but he seemed to be skeptical about that reported $1.5 million value. Uh, It was interesting what Taulia said uh, about this offer, too, uh, in a story that appeared in The Athletic. He said it can be eye-opening, talking about the money value. He says, but for my situation, if I was in a different situation where maybe I didn't have a brother in the NFL or maybe be my parents it'd be a different situation um all right so let's talk about first paul feinbaum's response to that the skepticism with which he brought uh, to the discourse uh, was that something that in your opinion was deserved or made sense or what do you make of it i think it's paul feinbaum being the keeper of the sec he is the defender, right? That's sort of his. He did that with Lane Kiffin when Kiffin came out and, you know, talked about, you know, the NIL and blew that up. And he went after Lane Kiffin. He's not, you know, he kind of, he's entrusted with, he knows what he's got in that situation. So I think it's more of sort of a protection type thing. Like, hey, this is going on. No big deal. It's happened with a bunch of people in the ACC too. I mean, I kind of feel like a little bit with Feinbaum, there's always that little edge leaning towards that, you know, 
SEC superiority thing. Like, hey, this is this no big deal. This yeah. stuff goes on everywhere. So yeah, and I think it does. And I I don't doubt that it wasn't one point five million dollars. I don't. I think I think it's. I yeah. It, that Who are we kidding? I mean, seriously, the, the kinds of money oh, uh, yeah. amounts that we're hearing at the top echelon. This isn't something that like every player in the transfer portal has all of this cash that's being thrown at them. But at the top echelon, to get an experienced quarterback, you don't think that an SEC oh. team, even if it's like a lower tier one, can offer three. Through NIL channels, that kind of scratch. And I think what Paul Feinbaum, I think you're absolutely right. He rides for the SEC harder than he anybody. He does, he does. Uh, and, and so I think he's looking at it like, well, how could he turn that down? <laughs> $1.5 million to play in the SEC? How could he turn that down? That has to be inaccurate. That, that cannot be true. And I think, well, how do we even assume that he doesn't have money that's in at least a similar realm coming at him from an ACC school? Right. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not seeing money along those lines, or at least something that's enough in the ballpark to give him the option to say, you know, I don't think I want to transfer to yet another scheme and yet another program. And Mike Loxley uh, has been a guy who has believed in me since my days uh, out of high school in Alabama and here I am so like maybe he has loyalty there and and I don't really think that it's beyond the realm of, of, of possibilities that a yes he got that offer and B he has significant justification and reason to not accept the offer I agree and you know you you wonder too does did does Maryland sweeten that pot a little bit with an NIL you know <laughs> I mean that's the can of worms that it creates right like in order to keep this guy. Do we, you know, are we, and there's no, I'm not saying that happened, sure. but that's the type of thing that's happening, right? If you do, if you don't think that's happening. And I do think that, you know, when you look at, you're talking about 18, 20 year old kids. If, if, if Talia Tongo Vailoa isn't in the situation he's in, the starting quarterback, comfortable, his brother's in the NFL, he knows he's going to have a shot. He knows that, yeah. you know, there's going to be money there at some point, probably after college. If, if you don't know that, that could be the highest payday you have ever as a quarterback coming out of, I mean, you know, how do you turn that down? You yeah. know, that's a, that's a big deal. And I think, you know, it's great that he didn't, but I, I'm not making moral judgments on kids that are taking that kind of money to go to different schools if that option's there because they want to take care of their families or, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. It, it, and that's that's sort of the juxtaposition we're in, right? It's, yeah. I mean, this kind of stuff has been happening for years. It's now now it's above board, right, because the NIL has allowed for this discussion to happen out in the, the bright light, out in the sunlight. Uh, but another thing that Paul Feinbaum suggested was we know, this is what he said, we know Mike Loxley, uh, the Maryland head coach did not match that offer if Taulia came to him with this, right? And oh, we yeah. don't necessarily know that. We I mean, know I think, the coach didn't. Yeah, yeah, the co- yeah. <laughs> I mean, but but like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe maybe upon just the the technical aspect of that statement, it's true. We don't know that there aren't any NIL channels around the Maryland program. It is a an ACC program that has had a lot of success um, in a multitude of sports. You know that there's some money around that program. I don't think it's out again, out of the realm of possibilities that maybe there was a sweetening of the pot, as you alluded to, or at least something that was even already in place that allows Taulia to be like, I don't have to take that offer. I can stay put with the guy who believed in me and finish out this deal that we decided and agreed upon. Yeah, and, and I don't think there was a bunch of sweetening of the pot. Then my gut is that probably Maryland, you know, didn't really have to do that. I mean, maybe they did a little bit, but it's also, you know, with all the transfers and stuff going on, let's say it was Georgia, right? There was a little bit, there was a little chatter that it might have been Georgia, you know, that, that offered that money because they've got a little bit of a quarterback uh, issue. But, you know, 
you go to Georgia, maybe you don't play. You yeah. know, I mean, there's a lot yeah, of, you know, true. there's a lot of things to think about. You didn't say the SEC, you know, you know, all of a sudden a week later you got someone, you know, you got three guys that may be dudes, you know, yeah. <laughs> coming in behind you, right? So I, I think it's a good decision for him in the situation he's in. But, yeah, it's it's sort of ominous to think about the money that's being exchanged and yeah. sort of the tampering that's happening, right? That does sound like classic fine bomb, though. Like, wait, wait, yeah. you got an offer yeah. from the SEC He's... and you didn't go? What is wrong with you? It's the SEC <laughs> yeah. for crying out loud. Exactly. Uh, I kneel before the altar exactly. of the SEC. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in the name of the Sabin and the Kirby. And All right. Um, what is, next question, the impact of Colorado's reported departure from the Pac-12? There has been a recent... Uh, announcement, or at least reports uh, on Twitter that, or I'm sorry, X, X on X, X. that uh, Arizona is going to be holding a press conference tomorrow. And so already the Board speculation is going to be Board of Regents, something or another, maybe there's going to be an announcement uh, that is of a similar uh, category there. Anyway, the impact of Colorado leaving the Pac-12. Well, I'll tell you, they're going to go from a 12-pack to a 6-pack in, <laughs> in a matter of days. And that's never a good I'm thing. Not, I mean, I'm not shocked. They're sort of going back to their conference, right, in a way. And I, I sure. wonder where Dion. I wonder where that all fit in. Did Deion Sanders sort of, you know, was that part of the deal? Like, hey, we don't want to stay in the Pac-12. We want to move. You know, was that part of You kind of wonder, like, how long out this is, this, that was. It Was that part of the deal with bringing Dion over? I, I mean, I would assume maybe it was because, you know, He's prime time, right? He's, yeah. You know, I yeah, but I don't know if that's going to be great for Colorado. Well, I think it, it adds money-wise. No, but no, and, and even competitively speaking, that's, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of but, you know like the the whole idea of Texas uh, and Oklahoma moving to the SEC. Like, you know, you're going to be part of these huge TV contracts, and you're going to get a lot of coin, and that's going to be great for the university. Uh, competitively speaking, though, are you going to have a pathway to the college football yeah. playoff? Like again, like in the foreseeable future, like at all, I think that's going to be a problem. And I see that being, you know, maybe a similar issue for Colorado uh, going to uh, the Big 12, but that that's debatable. Uh, I do think just Dion's presence and the attention that it brings uh, adds value certainly for to sure. that program. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, the Big 12, they're, they're loving it. The Big 12 is, is dreaming big here because they're trying to keep pace with the SEC and the Big 10, uh, and they're trying to stack up inventory as much as possible. But now you have a Pac-12 that is down to, what, nine teams after SC yeah. and UCLA and Colorado depart. There is still no TV deal. How do you negotiate a TV deal when you have now an added amount of uncertainty and questions? What, who, who knows what this Arizona announcement is going to entail? Like, who's the next to go? Is it Washington that's next to go? Is it Oregon that's next to go? How do you negotiate a TV contract with that kind of uncertainty surrounding the, the league? I don't know. And I mean... Yeah, Oregon, Washington. I'm thinking Oregon, Washington, Utah, right? And, I mean, obviously, and probably Arizona. I don't know about Arizona State, but it's going to not be. And you know what's interesting sort of from the chick side, because I'm on the chick side over here. <laughs> what do you, you know, you're going to play softball at these places or women's basketball, and you're traveling you're not chartering, buddy. You know, I don't think they're paying. You know, maybe football's chartering, but it changes. I know that's not really what we're talking about, but the other sports at these universities, sort of nobody really talks about that. And the travel and the missed yeah. class and the experience geographically and your parents seeing your play, all those things that happen in, quote, minor sports or whatever you want to, you know, some pretty big sports, at Washington basketball or Oregon volleyball. Or, it's going to be interesting to see how that all, money-wise, like how does that 
sort out travel wise. That you know? is an offshoot to this because yeah. as much as we still like to pretend that that's part of the conversation, I think in the sport of football, it is quite clear the yeah. priority is no longer the classroom, right? It just right. it just isn't right. right. And you would like it to be, uh, you know, in 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 a perfect idealistic world when it comes to college sports, it would be. But I think at the highest level, at the very least, and probably pervasive through the entire body of the FBS, it has diminished the importance because of scheduling and certainly because of the travel that's going to be introduced to programs like SC and UCLA. They're going to be playing cross-country. There was a recent report talking about the ancillary sports and how they're going to go about creating travel partners. A lot of those flights, as you said, are not going no. to be chartered flights. They're going to be flying commercial, and so they're strategic, uh, strategically trying to put together these travel partners where they can go you know, back-to-back games and back-to-back weeks, perhaps in nearby campus locations for the teams that are traveling. But it's going it's to be crazy. messy, yeah. and it's going to be demanding. And it is going to take away from what the NCAA has continued to preach, that the ideals are still and the priority is still associated with higher institution of learning um, uh, education. Like that's that's the 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 what has been promoted over time that I think continues to just take a hit because the it money does. has just infiltrated this And whole you thing. see the, sort of the whole mental health thing, right? Like the whole worry is about athletes' self-worth being only connected to their athletic success. You know what I mean? Where if, I, I, if I'm not successful athletic, I don't get to walk to an English class anymore and just sort of be with the normal people that are not elite athletes, you know? So it's kind of... But I think the pandemic kind of pushed the online education is, is coming, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think online classes, it's a, just a even take out the sports part. I mean, it is definitely becoming a part of the college education. You know, that's the way it's going to start to look a little bit. So in that regard, I think that's also trended in that direction where, ah, you know, I'm not in class, but I haven't been in class for yeah. a couple years for, for a lot of these kids. Yeah, so that's it, a fair it's point. interesting. Yeah, that's a fair point. That will certainly be leaned on, I think, to create some balance right. uh, to try to compensate for, uh, especially for these these schools as we approach the, the, the more super conference era in college uh, athletics uh, what will have to compensate for the immense amount of travel that a lot of these programs are have to gonna uh, are gonna have to undergo uh, all right last question real quick what is the impact I'm sorry are you watching the US women's national soccer team tonight they go up against Portugal very conflicting matchup oh, for me God, USA so versus excited. Portugal <laughs> 9 p.m tonight yeah, I mean, are you watching it oh absolutely I'm I love the I let that team has changed the landscape of women's sports like no other program ever you know so i think if you're a female athlete whether you've ever played soccer or not equal pay what they've done in the course of the since the 99ers is just like for someone like me who's a title niner it's been <laughs> great to you know it's just been great to follow it's great to see the young talent i was thinking it was tomorrow but yeah we for once hawaii gets it at nine o'clock at nine uh, like, east coast gets it at 3 a.m so I, yeah, I'm, I'm still. I've seen some Trinity Rodman stuff out there. Got a lot of the young players. I think they they get through this and they got a shot, but it could be could be tricky against. Portugal. You talk about the impact of this team. I, I think you see it directly in just how good some of these other teams have become, right? And even, uh, you know, going up against a Vietnam team that uh, the U.S. was so heavily favored against, and it ended up being a bit of a battle. Uh, certainly the Netherlands, always high quality, but I think, like, the impact of the U.S. success based on Title IX and the opportunities that were given to these girls and just the culture that was created, other Countries and nations have picked up on it, and their uh, soccer programs, I think, have at least taken a step towards yeah. 
keeping pace and catching up, and it makes for a much and, and more having competitive a model, World Cup. And having a model. Correct. You know, I think that's a, that's a lot of it. But the downside is that all that all that accomplishment, and they could have gotten paid a lot more back in the day, right? Now now it's tightening up, yeah, so they're yeah. not, not those incentives aren't quite the same as they would have been. Yeah, good point. All right, Craig Angela's show. It is tomorrow, ESPN Honolulu from Velocity Honolulu on Kapiolani Boulevard, 6 to 7. Get the scoops on UH Sports from Athletics Director Craig Angelis. I will be there. You can be there in person, or you can listen on ESPN Honolulu. It's brought to you by the JN Group and HCAMP, the Hawaii Concussion Awareness Management Program. All right, we're going to take a break. Best and worst when we come back. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy being joined by my special guest co-host for the day, Laurie Santi, who is in the house. It is our home stretch, our last segment. So, of course, we like to end things around here with our best and worst. So, uh, Laurie, what's your best? My best is swimmer Katie Ledecky breaking Michael Phelps's record for world titles with her 16th gold medal. It's been unbelievable run by her. So I had to give a little shout-out on the girls' side to Katie Ledecky. Um, yeah, 16th gold medal, six world championships in a row in the 1500. I mean, it's crazy in that sport what she's done and a sport that obviously isn't highlighted a whole lot except around the Olympics. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to her. It's, it's kind of wild to hear some of these, like, incredible records starting to go down, like these, these cumulative yeah. records, Michaela right? Like Schifrin. Michael Phelps records, which you would have thought, like, are untouchable, and, and they're starting to get eclipsed by these swimmers. Like The, the evolution in that sport is outrageous. Do you no, have anything else to add to no, that? No, that's it. No, I mean, I think you looked at Michaela <laughs> Schifrin at the ESPYs, right? It came to mind when you said that. So she was a skier that broke, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the record of all time for World Cup skiing, you know, and you see that. We just don't see it. You know, that's an Olympic thing for us. We yeah. see that every four years in our mind, but it's going on, right? You know, and it, so it's – I just thought I would – Highlight her a little bit and her accomplishments. No, that's very, uh, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. All right, my best is uh, Lee Hodges, who won the oh, 3M yeah. Open. Uh, it's his first professional victory uh, of his career. And so that unto itself is a cool story. But then ESPN posted a graphic uh, because Lee Hodges won by seven strokes. And so the graphic involved the largest margin of victory in first career wins on the PGA Tour. Michael Kim and Francesco Molinari uh, each in 2018, by the way, won by eight strokes. And so that is the record. Lee Hodges with seven is tied with four other golfers, one of whom is... Punahou's own. Parker McLaughlin, that's right, because uh, he won a professional tournament, and he did so by a very large margin. It was the Legends Reno Tahoe Open in 2008. That was actually pre-Stableford system. They switched to a couple years after that, uh, and he won by seven strokes, and I just thought it was cool. Like, Parker McLaughlin, the short game chef, we had just (laughs) talked to him on the show last week. Uh, He, you know, he had been down in Hawaii for the summer, and uh, he was on this graphic uh, of a very notable accomplishment, so I thought that was pretty cool. So this week he bumped up to two because you remember he he was quoted to say, "Oh, now I'm the third best golfer ever to come out of Hawaii when Allison Corpus yeah. won the Open." So, Mich- you know, Michelle, we, Allison, and me. So, I think Parker bumped his way up after that. Yeah, that's nice. Because nice. I saw yeah. that too. Yeah, that's nice. That nice, too. nice little shout out there, yeah. to Parker. All right, what's your worst? My worst, I think. I don't understand baseball managers, man. Phil <laughs> Nevin goes absolutely nuts. The manager for the for Anaheim. I mean, what is that? You can't go after officials in any other sport 
comes near what I mean it's comical in some ways but is it I think at some point they've got to reel that in so Phil Nevin basically almost going to blows right having to be restrained after that uh, that that game I just I, I find that fascinating yeah yeah a little bit. I mean I, everyone loves a good yeah, manager good blow up kick, at times you know? yeah, yeah. Like no one did it better right than Billy guys, Martin you know but yeah Earl Weaver was a classic yeah. Um, but yeah it still is like wow you, you still do that like you still can do that like that's still something that we haven't evolved back, past that yeah yeah exactly uh no that's pretty good all right my worst is i'm gonna go back to golf uh because espn had written that dj khaled are you familiar with yes. dj khaled oh, hip-hop producer and old. artist yeah he's 47 years old uh, and basically he is a huge golf fanatic and is now saying that he envisions himself one day playing on the pga tour he's convinced he'll help break down barriers in golf to make the sport more diverse and that he'll eventually play on the pga tour um, he says, will it change anything? I don't know, but I do know there's something profound about watching people of color have this much fun on a golf course, riding carts in circles, munching on Jamaican jerk chicken, people hollering at each other from across the course. There's no fear of being told you're too loud or you're doing too much, something that worries me in other spaces. So, yeah, DJ Khaled is going to break barriers like Tiger Woods. See, this goes back to the they need more fun in golf. I'm with him. I'm here for that. I would okay? love just like Just like that pro-am. We're on the backswing of what's his... What's yeah, yeah, Art, Marty, Marty, Marty Fish. Fish. You were upset about that. Yeah, I know. I'm all about it. My impression of DJ Khaled getting his second birdie in a row. Another one. <laughs> all right, that's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Laurie.